You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, so we are making our way through the Ten Commandments. And today we arrive at the pivotal Fifth Commandment. Now, I say pivotal because the commandments actually pivot here. They, they, they shift. They shift from primarily being um, vertically focused on our life with God to looking more about the implications of our life with God in how it affects our relationship with other people. And so we are going to look at the fifth commandment. So if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, that's where one of the places where the uh, Ten Commandments is found, Exodus chapter 20. Um, and we'll begin in verse 1, and then we'll hit the uh, Fifth Commandment in a moment. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as I read this. Exodus chapter 20. This is a context. So we always we begin with Exodus 20, um, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So it begins with grace. And then verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Father, we pray that you would speak to us today. Uh, you're not a philosophy. You're not a set of propositions. You're not a worldview, but you are personal and you are present. You are our good father and you are with your people today. And so give us eyes to see what you want us to see in this text. Soften hard hearts that we would receive from you what you want to say to us. And open our ears. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record. Or for your younger folk, uh, like a corrupted MP3 file. Think about that, right? Um, but... The Ten Commandments, and this is why I say every time, Ten Commandments, they're a gift of grace from God. They're a gift of God's grace, and they are designed to protect and enhance a life of freedom. Okay? Um, but with today's commandment on honor your father and your mother, I'm aware of at least three groups of people in our midst. One group is parents who have kids at varying ages at different stages. Secondly, they have, we have children who have aging parents. And thirdly, we have parents and children who have painful relationships with living or dead parents or children. Okay? And this is a tough topic that we're going to be looking at today. Nobody stirs up emotions more than kinfolk. Um, and... Some of you right now are facing some pretty tough decisions, even with regards to, to your parents or, or with your children. And so well, what we want to look at today is how does this commandment, and then Scripture as a whole, help us navigate these difficult waters. So you'll notice that this commandment, um, this commandment is like last week's commandment, as Pastor Sam taught on, on Sabbath. It's... Um, it's prescriptive, not prohibitive. So it's not a thou shalt not commandment. Uh, what's more, this commandment comes with a bonus. It comes with a promise. If you keep this commandment, there's a motivation. 
this commandment, if you keep this commandment, um, your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And finally, this fifth commandment reminds us something really, really important, and that is the importance of the family. That as a, as a family goes, so does society. The foundation for a good society is a family. And with this in mind, I want to look closely at what this commandment teaches us. Now, often when you hear this commandment, you know, honor your fathers and your mothers, usually it's taught this way. It's usually taught as a way to keep our kids in line. So if you've got little kids in with you and they're like, you elbow your kids. You say, all right, listen to Pastor David. He's going to be talking about honoring your father and your mother. And this week we haven't got a lot of honor, so pay attention to what Pastor David said. Right? That's how it's usually taught. But the reality is, is that this commandment, yes, it applies to kids, to little kids, but it's actually directed towards adult children. And in particular, their relationship with their aging parents. Okay? So there's no elbowing your kids. You've got to pay attention here. Um, and it actually speaks. It, this commandment actually speaks to how we treat parents who may have become a burden to our family or to society. And given that the largest demographic in Canada, as of two weeks ago I read this, um, is a demographic over 65, um, this makes this commandment pretty relevant for today. So honoring parents, what does this commandment teach us? Well, what is honoring parents in the Old Testament? What does this look like? Well, broadly speaking, the Old Testament teaches us that we need to honor our parents. So Proverbs 20, verse 20 says this, If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Deuteronomy 27, verse 16, Cursed is the man who dishonors his father or his mother. We read in Levitical law, Old Testament law, that if a child curses, attacks, or strikes a parent... They are to be stoned to death. So these are the good old... No, they're not the good old days. No, These are... These are but it's, it's tough, right? This is tough teaching. And so in the Old Testament, what it teaches us is that honoring our parents is really, really important. And it's serious. Now, why, why is it so serious? Well, this, these commandments, this teaching served as protection for the elderly. It protected parents from being driven out of the land. Um, it protected parents from being abused, especially when they were perceived as being no longer of any use to society. Which reminds us that in many cultures in the world, even today, that the elderly are particularly vulnerable. In fact, in the ancient world, once an adult received a certain stage of life, reached a certain stage of life, in some cultures they were expected to leave the village or even to commit suicide. So this commandment pushes back against this practice. Instead, the Bible calls sons and daughters to honor their parents. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word honor means, uh, the, the word that's used is this word kabed. It's an interesting word. It's derived from the word that means to be heavy. It is a verb form of the noun glory. 
And so glory is the weight, the heaviness of God himself. And to honor your parents means what? It means to take our parents seriously. To place them high among our priorities. To acknowledge them as weighty and their role as weighty. Um, that give them value within the family, within community. Acknowledge the value that they have in our lives. And so to honor your parents means to treat a person with dignity, importance, authority, and esteem. And when we do that, what happens? Well, the Bible describes that we have long life. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's a promise. How is long life, though? How is it that long life will come to those who honor their parents? Well, the answer comes with the type of family that you'd probably have if parents in the family were honored, if the elderly were honored. Practically speaking, if you take care of your aging parents, if you take care of them, they tend to live longer, right? If you take your aging parents and you cloister them away in seniors' homes and and do not visit them and do not allow your grandchildren to visit them and as they're cloistered away in a senior's home, the reality is they will not live as long. In fact, the average life of a person living in a senior's home is 13.7 months, right? So here's a connecting point. If we treat our parents poorly, chances are our kids will see us treating our parents poorly. And when we get to that age, we will most likely be treated in the same way. And so as Joy Davidman puts it, puts it in her, in her work on the Ten Commandments. She says, The naked and crude point of the Fifth Commandment is honor your parents lest your children dishonor you. But this long life, it can also be understood in a spiritual sense that families that honor Yahweh, that align their lives to the way of God, this, this honoring of God, this spiritual legacy can be passed on from generation to generation. The Bible has a lot to say about that. In Psalm 145, verse 4, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Right? So the Old Testament lays out this picture of honoring your parents. Now, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, um, what does Jesus do with this commandment? Well, like the other commandments, Jesus, um, it's, it's repeated in the New Testament. And Jesus, he affirms this commandment, but he, he, he offers a bit of a twist. First off, he does reinforce the teaching of this commandment. Uh, we read his, he actually quotes this commandment in, in Matthew chapter 15. Practically, Jesus, the way he lived his life, he lived out this commandment. Um, he accompanies Peter to heal his mother-in-law. Um, he heals a poor widow's son. He responds to Jairus' plea to heal his daughter. Um, Jesus taught us about the heart of the Father, what the heart of the Father is. His heart is open wide, and his heart is loving. And we even know that when Jesus was on the cross, he speaks to his disciple, and he says, look after my mom. Right? But secondly, Jesus does something here with his commandment, and he shocks people. Because he says something quite interesting about family. In... um, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Listen to this. This is what Jesus says. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, 
and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, okay, we, we need to understand what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying, he, he's not rejecting the teaching of the fifth commandment, but what he's doing is saying, you need to make sure that the fifth commandment does not trump the first commandment. The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. And so he's making sure that the fifth commandment, honor your, your father and your mother, that the family doesn't come before God, that the family does not become an idol. And we know in our world today, families can become idols. They become, you know, everything's about the family. Jesus is saying, no, nah, not everything is about the family. Family's important, but it's not all about the family. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But then Jesus does something else. He creates a new family. He calls God Father, and he teaches his followers to do the same. He teaches us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, right? And this new family is called the church. And that is why for generations upon generations, people within the church, men and women, call each other brother and sister, right? We are the children of God adopted into the family of God the Father through Jesus Christ. And so, as Christians, how we treat our mother and father matters, but how we treat our spiritual mother and fathers in the church also matters. How we treat the elderly matters, okay? So how do we begin to obey this commandment? Well, we need to respect our parents, we need to feel the weightiness of their position, the load that they carry, the, the burden of shaping our values, building us up. And we need to respect their advice. <laughs> we need to respect their guidance and their wisdom. I find that as I get older, my parents were a lot wiser than I realized. <laughs> and, and then I kind of think back. It's like I probably would have done a lot better if I had listened to them <laughs> at certain years, but certain years I didn't. So we need to respect our parents. But this is not absolute, again. We respect our parents, but we need to weigh this commandment alongside our respect for God and our worship of Jesus. Jesus has the last word. So here's the dilemma, though. Some of you are always thinking of this. What do you do if you want to honor your parents, but your parents do not believe in Jesus? They're not Christians. And maybe they want you to do things or they're encouraging you to do things that actually push back against the way of Jesus. How do you navigate that? I used to pastor within a Chinese context in a, in a, in a Chinese church. And, and this was a real dilemma for many Chinese Christians because they would accompany their parents to the Buddhist temple. And their, their parents would go and they would, they would bow down. They would venerate borderline worship their ancestors. To their, you know, to their, to, to their ancestors. And they would often need help. And so the son or the daughter would have to help them go up and bow down to their ancestors almost in a worshipful sense. So how do you have no other gods before you and yet still honor your mother and your father? This was a real dilemma. And it takes a lot of wisdom, takes a lot of discernment to figure out what this or how far this respect ought to go. Second thing is we need to obey our parents, Deuteronomy 6. It honors the way of creation, 
And it's interesting that one of the um, signs in the New Testament of the end of the age, it says things are at the end of the age, one of the signs that things are coming, that history is coming to an end, is the disobedience, disobedience towards parents. Isn't that interesting? So we need to obey our parents. But again, this is not absolute because what, what comes between our obedience to our parents? Marriage. Marriage comes between this. Because when you get married, your new loyalty lies with your spouse. And when you get married, you're actually entering into a relationship that the Bible describes as the closest of all human relationships. You are one flesh. So this afternoon... As soon as I'm done preaching, I have to head to Chilliwack to do a wedding. Uh, but one of the things I'll say is, is that when you get married, I said, when you leave this place and you have to write down next of kin, you're going to write each other's names down. Because you are one flesh. Closer than any human relationship. Now, I will say this. That the problem for many marriages is when the husband or the wife still chooses their parents over their spouse. Feel like I just stepped on some toes there, right? <laughs> but that's that I've seen that happen so many times over the years, right? The other thing we need to do is we need to learn to take care of our parents. How do we do this? Well, we keep them from suffering shame. I remember my uh, my godfather. Um, he was he's quite a sharp sharp man. He was a doctor. He was a, well, he was a podiatrist. And sharp as a tack, but when he got older, his mind started to go. And so what we would do is we'd do whatever we could to, you know, it kind of became awkward at times, but we just tried to protect him from shame. And so what it means is, is you don't ridicule, you don't yell at your aging parents when they start to slip. Um, you don't air their faults or their shortcomings through social media and different things. You, you, you do what you can. You share the challenges you may be facing with them for those who can help. And you take care of them because they can no longer take care of themselves. And I like what Daryl Johnson, he's a pastor in Vancouver, says. He says, you know, our parents pushed us in strollers for years. We can at least push them in a wheelchair for a little while, right? Now, one of the things that I'm guessing has been on your mind since I began is the question, what about less than honorable parents? And some of you, from the moment, you're like, David, I hear what you're saying. But you don't know my dad. You don't know what my dad was like. You don't know what he did. You don't know what my mom, what my mom is like. And she drives everybody crazy. You want me to honor them? Now, here's the thing. I don't know your specific challenges, but I get it. I know that this commandment is tough, and you're feeling the pressure right now. But here's the thing. This commandment moves us towards honoring our parents regardless of how well they've done as parents. Remembering, to many degrees, that when parents start off, they're rookies. They have no idea what they're doing. I had no idea what I was doing. And I've had so many parenting fails in my life. And if you don't believe me, you can ask my kids. But 
It's hard. It's also interesting, though, because it, this commandment tells us to honor our parents. It doesn't command us to love them. Uh, loving our neighbor, and that, that's part of another teaching. But here, the, 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 the emphasis is on honor. And so then the question becomes, is there some degree of honor that you can show your parents? Is there some degree of honor and obedience to God the Father that you can extend towards them? And if so, what would that look like? Now, you have to remember about this commandment. This commandment is not absolute in the sense that you cannot use this commandment to violate the purpose of the commandments. The purpose of the commandments is to enhance a life of freedom, right? To protect and enhance a life of freedom. And so you cannot use this commandment to promote or justify abuse, slavery, or misery. And so how or if you can show honor to your parents, maybe you, you, you may need help along the way. You may need some brothers and sisters in Christ to help you navigate this. Again, the Ten Commandments is not given to us individually. They're given to us as a community, and we respond as a community. Okay. I just want to touch on a couple further implications of this commandment, especially as it relates to the modern world. And here's one of the implications. How do you live out this commandment to honor your, par to honor your parents in a world where families are disappearing, where families are being deconstructed, especially in the West. This is a question that a, a sociologist, theologian, a woman named Mary Eberstadt, she asks. She points out that in the West, um, families are disappearing. For example, in the Netherlands, over half of the households in the Netherlands are single-dwelling households. There's just one person in the household. People are not getting married. They're not having children. In the Western world, actually beyond the Western world, I was looking at the, this this week, um, in most of the world, most of the world does not have a replacement fertility rate. Do you know what I mean by that? Is that uh, the fertility rate is 2.2. Is when, when, a, when a fertility rate is 2.2, that means the number of kids that are babies that are being born matches the number of people who are dying. And so populations will remain stable. There are no Western nations that are at a replacement level. So if replacement is 2.2, what do you think Canada is? Yeah, 1.5. Spain is 0.9. And, and, and it's not just the Western world, it's around the world. But there's no Western nations with a, re, with a replacement rate. So here's the question that's being asked. If, if, if we're living in a culture where families are becoming increasingly rare where marriage and, and bearing children is becoming increasingly rare, how do, you, how do you tell the Christmas story in a way that makes sense? If you're talking about a mother giving birth to a baby in a culture where nobody's having babies, the Christmas story won't even make sense. How do you talk about the fatherhood of God where, 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 there's, where, where fathers are absent? And, and here's the thing... <laughs> 
Historically, when a culture, when a society is short on hope, one of the first signs of the lack of hope in a society is the disappearance of children. They stop having children. A society that, that has given up hope is a society that stops having children. And I think one of the most countercultural things a family or, or a couple could do these days, I mean, this is edgy. This is, this is right on the edge. One of the most countercultural things a couple could do is get married these days and have children, whether it be through adoption, or fostering, or natural. Because families are absolutely crucial to the health of a society. Now, one other implication, there's lots more we can look at, but I want to look at technology for a moment. If you've been coming to my Tuesday night classes, you know I'm always going on about technology because we live in a technological world. Technology is everywhere around us, but the point is, is that technology is not neutral. It affects how we think. So how does technology affect how we think? Well, in a technological world, two things are valued more than anything else. Novelty and usefulness. What I mean by that is, is things that are new and things that are useful. If you have a new iPhone, you can do all sorts of things, and so it's valued. Something that is new and something that is useful is valued. On the other side, in a technological world, what do you do with something that's old and obsolete? What do you do with that? You throw it out. Yeah, you throw out what is, what is old and obsolete. Now, the danger comes when this technological mindset is applied to people. And in, particularly, in, in particular, the elderly. See, the biblical vision of our humanity is that we are made in the image of God. Every person you lock eyes with is made in the image of God and has dignity and value because God has created them. Amen? Every single person we lock eyes with, even the ones you, we, if you don't like them, it doesn't matter. They're still made in the image of God and have dignity and value because they are made with the imago Dei, the, the image of God. What happens when you live in a society where the image of God is rejected? On what basis is a person valuable? Well, they're valuable if they are useful. Utility becomes the, the, the defining criterion. And what happens if you are no longer useful? Well, in a technological world, you throw out old things. And applied personally, we begin to view our aging parents or the elderly as a whole as a burden that needs to be relieved. And despite the fact that many elderly in our society are struggling with depression, a depression that's been exacerbated through the isolation of COVID. But elderly today, if they're suffering with depression, the best solution, the best advice that they're given is that they can relieve the burden that they are becoming through the process of euthanasia or medical assistance in dying. That's what it's called in Canada, MAID. And the way of thinking, this way of thinking, is growing in the Western world. I was out with a buddy of mine, and he says, it's really weird. He goes, next Tuesday at 5 o'clock, I'm going to go watch my mom die. 
Now, in, in, in the Netherlands, again, where euthanasia is widely practiced, the elderly are often afraid to go to a hospital because they don't think they're going to get out of their life. And I know, I had a, I had a student of mine, she, she was an older Swedish lady, and she was going back to Sweden, and, and, and she says, I'm nervous because if I get sick, I don't want to go to the hospital. I go, why? She goes, I'll never come out. I'll never come out. And this one ethicist puts it this way, and it's, it's quite a poignant statement. He says, within a remarkable short period of time, you can put up that slide, Within a remarkably short time, since 1984, the Dutch have proceeded from voluntary to non-voluntary euthanasia because the underlying justification for euthanasia appears not to be patient self-determination, but rather the acceptance of the principle that certain lives are not worth living and that it is right to terminate them. Now, against this, we have been given the gift of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, right? The gifts are given to us to protect and enhance the life of freedom. Okay, so where do we go with all this? As a church, how do we respond to the challenges raised by this commandment? First thing, we need to ask God to give us grace to offer new ways to honor our parents. So ask the question today, how can I honor my parents? If your parents are living... I mean, this is one of the benefits of Zoom. <laughs> I mean, give them a Zoom call. Go old school. Write them a letter. Um, pray that God would help you see them as he sees them. And then ask yourself, because some of you, your parents might have passed on. But ask yourself, who are the parental figures? And maybe your parents are absent. They've never been part of your life. Who have been parental figures in your life? You know, who's really spoken into your life? It, it could, be, could be parents, could be step-parents, could be foster parents, could be mentors, could be uncles, aunts, siblings. But people or spiritual mothers and fathers who have spoken into your life. How can we honor them for the role that they've played in your life? Secondly, we need to recover a biblical vision of family. You know, one of the challenges of the Western world, <laughs> one of the challenges of living here in Coquitlam in 2022, is that it is so expensive to live here. And couples have to work. They have to work uh, just, just to make ends meet. But the hard part is that if you have children, then, you know, you have to work, but you also have to look after your children, and that is a real, real difficulty, right? Uh, you add to that uh, divorce is increasingly common, and kids are often caught in the middle of parents who have been divorced or, and remarried and, and introduces the whole complexity of, of blended families. And so here's a question. Would some of these pressures be alleviated if we really took seriously what the church is supposed to be all about? Think about the role of grandparents, for example. Uh, man, when my kids were young, my grand, the, the, grand, the grandparents were absolutely key. Think about the role that the church or a small group can have upon just alleviating some of the pressures of raising a family. I love the fact that at our church yesterday, we had a parents' afternoon out. <laughs> and a lot of parents took advantage of this uh, just to have a few hours, six hours of just quiet time. 
And see, this is a role of the church, and this is a role of a small group, right, to support one another. When, when, uh, when my wife and I, when we, uh, when we were having our, our, our first child, uh, we lived in Vancouver, but we didn't have a whole lot. We didn't have a whole lot of money at all. And, uh, but so many people in the church gave us clothing, they gave us a crib, they gave us all sorts of things. And so we had everything ready for when my son was going to be born. And I remember when we were at the hospital, we were talking to this other couple, and they, they, weren't, they, didn't, they weren't part of a church, they were kind of new to Vancouver, and they're saying, yeah, man, we've spent $7,000 just getting everything ready. This is $7,000 20 years ago, which is like a billion dollars now. I don't know. Uh, but but they, they had no help. And I just thought, man, I'm so thankful for the church. I'm so thankful for the, for the family of God because they gave us all sorts of stuff just to help us get ready because they knew we didn't have enough, we didn't have the means to buy what we needed. And the church is your family. Paul in the New Testament urges Christians to treat older men and older women as fathers and mothers and younger men and younger women in the church as brothers and sisters. And so here's the thing. If you don't have a father or a mother in your life, look for one. And if you're elderly here, and I'll leave it to you to decide whether or not you're elderly. <laughs> instead of taking off to Florida or wherever you're planning to go, maybe offer yourself as a spiritual father, spiritual mother to those who are in need. Here's the thing. Our church needs its seniors. And so lean in and offer, offer help. And when you offer help, make sure it's help. Don't be like, well, in my day, we didn't have this TikTok and this and all this kind of stuff. Just don't be like that. Just, just kind of lean in and be kind, right? And just say, hey, how can I help, right? <laughs> but I think it's so important. Our, our seniors are so important in the church. And the problem is, is in the church, sometimes this technological mindset kicks in. It's like, ah, oh, they're old, they're a burden. Let's just focus on the next generation, which is important. But man, we are the church and we all belong together, right? The third thing is we need to receive God as Father. And this is a challenge for some of you. But we need to remember that ultimately God is my real Father. He's my Abba. And, and don't make the mistake of mapping the character of a less than good Father in your own life onto who God is like, what God is like. God the Father is really as loving and kind as his son says he is. He is a father who sees you and he runs to you and his arms are open wide and he receives you and he elevates you all through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture of father. This is who God the Father is. And he is more than happy to receive prodigal sons and daughters home. Now here's the last point. We need to ask God to give us grace to find healing in our relationships with our parents and our children, even if they're no longer around. Now this is tough. This is really tough. Because some of you may not have had good parents and they're, and they're gone. And to say... You know, to say, I'm sorry, or I forgive you, is tough. 
And I want to offer you an exercise. And you, you can accept it or reject it. It's up to you. But I find this exercise quite helpful. And it looks something like this. When you're at home, when it's quiet, in your mind's eye, imagine yourself on the bottom of a hill. And you look up to the top of the hill, and there's a cross, and on the cross is Jesus. And you go to the top of the hill, and you look at Jesus, and you see what he has done on the cross. He's died for your sins to set you free. That there's no more condemnation because of Jesus. That all your sins have been wiped away. Jesus died the death that your sin should have brought about. And Jesus has forgiven you. And you look at him and you, and you receive the forgiveness that Jesus has for you, okay? Now here's the hard part. I want you to walk down that hill in your mind's eye. And at the bottom of the hill, see your dad. See your mom. And I want you to take them by the hand in your mind's eye back up that hill. Before the cross, before Jesus. And pray to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I want you to forgive them as you have forgiven me. Whoa. Now that's not easy. I know it's not easy. But I'll tell you, it's powerful. And Jesus will meet you in the midst of that. So I, I leave that to you as an exercise you may want to do in the next week or so. All right? Because these burdens, these, 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 this heaviness that you experience, I mean, it's, it's going to bring you down. It's going to affect you. But the whole purpose, God gives us the Ten Commandments. Why? To protect and enhance a life of freedom. Right, so it's a gift of freedom. Does that make sense? All right, well, let's pray. Father, we come before you. You are our good Father. And we come before you in Jesus' name. And we acknowledge that you are loving, that your arms are open wide, and that you receive us into your arms. And that you forgive us through your son, Jesus Christ. You give us the very presence, your presence, the Holy Spirit. To live in us, to transform us, to give us the taste of the things of you. And these are all free gifts. And we're thankful for this, Lord. And we read your word on honoring our father and our mother. And, and you know our hearts. You know what's going on. You know our experience with our parents or parent figures in our lives. Some have been good, some haven't been so good. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us move towards a place of forgiveness and freedom. We don't know what that will look like, but we trust you to get us there. Lord, we pray that uh, you would bring people into our lives that can actually help us navigate these difficult waters. We're thankful for the, for the family of God, for the church. And we pray that we would be spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters to one another. And to lean in, especially when there's need. That's our desire, Lord. All we can do is lay this before you. 
And we do so not in our own strength, but in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.